Here we go. Hmm. Rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Out on the West Coast, he's back. Adam Stanko, just two plugged in dudes talking hoops. And today it's going to be a little bit more about life. Coming Thursday, going ISO edition with Portland Trailblazers TV analyst Lamar Hurd. All sorts of stories about Lamar early <laughs> in his career. He just completed his fourth season as the game analyst for the television broadcast for the Portland Trailblazers. He is the only non-former player or coach, non-former NBA player or coach, who is calling games on television on a full-time basis for an NBA team. So we'll talk to him about how he was received around the league when he got that job with Kevin Calabro. Now he'll have a new full-time play-by-play voice next to him whenever this season starts. If this is how you're listening to the show for the very first time, make sure you subscribe to the show, Rejecting the Screen. You get the two of us every Tuesday and then a long-form interview with stories we promise you've never heard before from Hall of Famers, All-Stars, all sorts of folks who have touched the NBA over the years. That's in the Going ISO edition, all under Rejecting the Screen here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe, and if you're doing it on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and even if you don't want to leave us a full review, just leave us a comment or a suggestion for a guest. Simple. And then share it with your friends. So we'll talk about Adam's trip from East Coast to West Coast with four children, two mm-hmm. teenage daughters and a three-year-old son and a few-month-old daughter. We'll talk about what I have going on on Tuesday. As you listen to this episode, most likely... I will be in a polling location in New York City. I am working the polls from 5 a.m. to close, so 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. But first, Adam, let's talk about the NBA schedule. And as we record this, the latest is from Woj that there isn't an agreed-upon date. December 22nd is still thrown out there, but nothing is agreed to, and the clock is ticking. It's such an interesting time. Noah, that we're we're dealing with and trying to figure out what to make of all this. I mean, it's 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 life in general we're dealing with. Every single day you try to figure out, okay, am I worried about short-term concerns? Am I worried about long-term concerns? What's the what is everything gonna look like? What's the world gonna look like two months from now, six months from now? You're I love when people just assume. <laughs> months, exactly. Like, but I love when people assume they they say to me all the time, like, uh, yeah, that's not happening until January. And I'm like, well, what makes you think that January is going to be any different than what we're experiencing now? But that's sort of the NBA's deal right now. That's that's sort of what's going on. So you've got this crazy unique situation within the league, which gets gets bogged down into different numbers and such. But essentially what it is, is the current salary cap for teams is $109 million right now. The, mm-hmm. The projected revenue, which is what they base the salary cap on each year, which then the players then split 50-50 the, uh, with, with the teams, the projected revenue is supposed to be $90 million. We know that revenue is already going to be lost for next season because of the limited schedule. So now it's, okay, well, then how do you make it work? Well, the league says we're going to – what's being talked about right now and seems like it's definitely going to happen is the salary cap will be – that's sort of this inflated number. It'll go to 109 because if we had a $90 million salary cap, 
chaos within the league. And if you remember, Noah, back in 2016, which people talk about a lot, the NBA had this new rights deal and the owners went to the table with the players and said, hey, with this rights deal coming up, we're going to have this crazy spike. We can't just spike the salary cap overnight. If we do that, then a whole bunch of teams are going to have advantages. It's going to be unfair for the rest of the league. We're going to lose competitive balance, all these things. And the players were like, no way, we're not getting paid down the road from some smoothing of the cap. We need our money right away. And then Kevin Durant goes to the Warriors and everyone complains that it's unfair for for them. So that's the background. So what's interesting, though, about this proposal is that, like, it's not about, and the whole point I'm getting at is that it's not about really what happens next season. It's almost next year's kind of locked into place. They just need to get a certain number of games in. But the league ultimately wants to set themselves up, looking at next year being a wash for 2021-22, when we can get back to a normal start late October and really get things rolling again with the Olympics and summer's off and all that kind of stuff. And that's the the sticking point right now is that the players are saying, hey, we don't, we don't necessarily want to return right away. And you've talked about it before, no, at least to me, like about what they're thinking about right now and why they have a lot on their plate in order to make this decision. All right. So the guys that play deep into the bubble – they don't want to turn around this quickly, but the majority of the league, and if you want to make like a constitutional amendment, we need two thirds of the state. So two thirds of the NBA teams are good to go. They could play in December. They could play late December. They could start Christmas. Good to go. LeBron runs a lot of the league. May not be in LeBron's hands, but when you look at the four teams who closed out the bubble and were there for a hundred days, Health and safety cannot be first and foremost if the league and everybody else agrees to say, all right, we need we need to start. The, the teams that went to the bubble did so. They bailed out the rest of the league for the most part. You know, They played for the rest mm-hmm. of the league. That money is still shared with all the other teams. The league lost a ton of – the league didn't recoup all the money that they lost without basketball, but it's – as always, it's better than nothing. And also the image of the league is that Adam Silver had the most to gain. The image of the league is as a responsible organization. Let's leave the social stuff aside, but as a responsible organization with science, they pulled it off. You're not going to be able to pull off that bubble again. No team is going to say, we're going to, we're good to go into this bubble for the foreseeable future. It's just, that's inhumane. <laughs> it just wouldn't work. So the schedule is a huge issue of whether we're going to play the series and you're got you're going to have guys traveling, you're going to have players at home with wise and they might and with friends and they might be leaving and then bringing something in, kids going to school, passing something on to them. We could have a situation like we have with the NFL and that is dicey and ugly and not a situation the NBA wants to deal with, but they're going to have to balance they're going to have to balance these things out. But there's also, Adam, the PR side of things mm-hmm. that if players say, and I, I oftentimes look at things through the, the PR lens, if the players say loudly, look, we only got two months off. We can't go out back out there and play what accounts to a less than 82-game schedule like we're used to being playing. Because... There are tens of millions of Americans who haven't been leaving their homes and not been going to their jobs. 
And they're going to look at the league and say, well, wait a second. You've got these guys making millions and they say they can't play because they didn't have enough time off. I can't feed my family because all I have is time off. And, and that right there, Noah, is the, is the stickiest part of this whole thing as the players and, and owners start to negotiate what this whole thing looks like. And the question you have to ask yourself, just like you, have to, you had to ask in 2016, was, oh, what is the interest of both parties? And you think about it from the player's perspective. They just went, and I'd be frustrated if I was, you brought it up. Talk about health and safety moving forward, but I have health and safety just, just that we had in the bubble. That these players just put it out there on the line. They were really the first ones that said, okay, we're going to commit to to playing. They got the ball rolling for all major sports, not just the NBA. I know that you know different tournaments took place, the basketball tournament, and there was some soccer stuff going on. But just in terms of an overall plan right from the jump, NBA shut down first and set the tone nationally. And then same thing when they started up again. But I know for a lot of players, the feeling is right now, wait a minute, we just risked this situation. And as we talked about in a recent interview with Ben Golliver, it wasn't all roses to be in the bubble for that period of time. And I know, look, for for most Americans who are struggling right now, um, maybe there's a spouse out of work. Maybe, you know, your kids are home. You're struggling with that. God knows I understand that that struggle. Uh, mm-hmm. We all deal with our with our own issues. I know it's easy to look at NBA players and the lifestyle and say, well, sorry, they were inconvenienced for a few months. I, I get that. But still, it remains that they did this and they look at the league and say, hey, we sacrificed, to your point, Noah, to save your product here. So we have some leverage. We have some negotiating power. But I think the owners sort of look at it like, if we don't pull this off now, we're going to screw up the calendar for years to come. And I think that is actually a very real valid concern. The question that I'm curious to ask you is, how do you think it impacts the next couple of years in terms of free agency, in terms of where guys are deciding that they want to play next? Like, where's all this stuff play into the long-term part of the league? I think you're going to have guys taking one-year deals and just saying, look, we're just going to play everything by year because nothing can be certain for the years to come. So let's, and, and it, and I think a lot of it will have to do with, do guys have, do certain players have families? Do they want to uproot? Do they want to uproot families and the guys that don't? And I think at, you know, in, you mentioned 2016, what happened was there, there was that disappearing middle class of the NBA. It was, everybody's either making a ton of money or guys are making minimums. And you can, I mean, we all learned about this in history class that without, without the middle class, there is no real economy to build on. So that's what, that's what the league itself needs to get back to. And I think some sort of reset is necessary. And the thing for me, Noah, is that right now, the league is in a really healthy place in terms of having talent spread out across the league. We see super teams, of course, but look at all of the talent that we're going to have next year. 
And I think about, you talk about competitive balance in general, which is really what the ultimate concern is. Because you don't want some team to run away with things. We saw when it started in 08 with Celtics building their super team. Heat obviously followed suit with LeBron and Bosh and Wade. And then it's turned into like, you know, oh, who's going to bring in the assassins next? But really, I look at the league right now, and you, we yes, we know about what the Lakers are. Giannis is still in Milwaukee. We need to remind people about that sometimes. They had a historic season last season. Um, and then you just start going around and saying, oh, well, Philly now has, has restructured. But they bring in Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey as part of their, their whole operation. Um, and so that's going on at Philly. So you might see a change there. The youth movement in Boston, Kyrie and KD in Brooklyn. Point being, not telling anybody they, something they don't know, but the league is in a really healthy place in terms of talent both middle-aged, if you call it that, in basketball terms mm-hmm. and, you know, established veteran stars, but also this younger group, which is really knocking on the door now with Luca and, and well, Trey Young you could throw in there, but just all these guys, maybe they're not going to win right away in Atlanta, but just the idea that across the league there is a youth movement, Zion, obviously, and now what's going on with, with the Pelicans and, and their future. I just think John Morant with Memphis, like, the teams that aren't very good, they've at least got exciting players and they've got a good core that they can build around. So I think you look around the league in general and it's extremely healthy. So the one thing the NBA can't afford to do is screw that up and somehow not having a middle class and just having issues financially could be the one thing that that throws a wrench in all of that. Now, it seems like the NBA then needs a little bit of a, a pick-me-up for these negotiations. So I'd suggest built go. That's what I take before working out. Usually about 45 minutes before working out, suck one of those down and then go about my workout, which recently has been a lot of Pilates. So you can take them in ounce and a half packages and it's it's like a, a workout gel and they've got peanut butter, honey, chocolate coconut, which is my favorite, and then chocolate mint. And we've told you about Built Bar. This is Built Go, combining the energy gel with the ever so popular these days, the collagen protein, which is fast absorbing. So it gets into my my system really fast. And then it's also easy on my stomach because if you, you know what it's like, if you take in too much protein and then you go work out, you got a stomach ache. Yeah. The stomach ache leads to gas. And you can't have that when you're working out. No, not not in Pilates class. Well, it's not a class these days. No one's taking a class. It's just me by myself. But still, I'm I don't, saying that you know. in theory, though. And you're the listen. First of all, you're the only one who's saying I'm taking this by myself because you live in this exclusive apartment that you have to book your own personal appointment right, with yes, a Pilates right. instructor. Exactly. I'm like saying castle, most castle people in the like sky, but I don't have a Pilates instructor coming here. It's all online, so it is just me. And it's loaded with all that good stuff too. So it's it's got a little bit of caffeine, B three, um, and a lot of and good amount of honey. And it's got that B six, the B twelve, and collagen. If you don't know about it, it promotes joint and soft tissue, hair and skin health. Which who doesn't need that? You Visit- still throwing them in your fridge? No, you still yeah, throwing yeah. them in yeah. your fridge? Fridge. Fridge, absolutely. Delicious that way. Delicious. The chocolate especially. BuiltGo.com, promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, BuiltGo.com, promo code LOCKED, 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED, 20% off your next order 
builtgo.com. Let's go. All right, so as you're listening to this, it's released midnight of election day. I'm working the polls here in New York City. I'm not going to tell you exactly where I'm going to be. Don't need the paparazzi at the, at the polls, Adam. But <laughs> I'm going to be a privacy booth inspector. So you, you go through this training. It's a four-hour training. And then you are then given a job on, online. So at first, I did my training. It was pouring rain. I got all the way over to the Javits Center, all the way across town, 34th and 11th. And I did this four-hour training. And it is just a boatload of information. It just blows your mind in these four hours. Then you get an open book test, which I got 18 out of 20 on. Congrats. I don't know how I didn't get 20 out of 20, but, but I mean, they even tell you where to look, like what pages to look. I'd be very interested to know which, which problems I got incorrect. And then you're supposed to check your dashboard on this website two days later to see what your assignment is. So I check. I say, I get an email. It says it's been updated. I check and it says training, training update, no show. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, I was there for four (laughs) hours. Trust me. So I emailed them. It got changed. I'd sent them my, my registration number, everything else. And it got fixed right away. And then you get your assignment. So I'm a, a booth inspector, which means you have to look at, make sure everybody feels like they are safe and secure in their privacy booths and make sure now these days, make sure everything is clean, make, you know, see if anybody has any questions, let them know who they should be voting for. If I see something I don't like on their ballot, then I can tell them, Hey, wait, I think you should actually change this. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm just kidding. But it's just to make them feel safe in their, in their, in their privacy booth. And there are, in the New York state, I learned that it's a, it's a signature state. And now this year, everything is on iPads. So you come in, you say your name, you mm-hmm. show, or, yeah, you say your name and you, or you have a, um, like what amounts to like a, like a store card from a grocery store. You put it down and scan it and you sign your name with a stylus. And those aren't easy. And the person at the table, not my job, but if you're working at one of the tables, they then have to determine whether that signature looks close enough to the signature that they're seeing that you signed when you registered to vote however many years ago. And then right. they can challenge you saying, well, I, I don't think this is you. Wow. So some states are signature states. Some states are ID states. New York is a signature state. Right. That's, not my, that's not my job. But I'll be there at 5 a.m., polls, get everything ready, polls open at 6. You're there until polls close at nine. If you're in line, if someone is is in line at nine o'clock, you wait until all those people who are in line at nine o'clock come through, vote, and then you do whatever else you need to do and walk home. Well, look, I first need to start off by saying you're a hero for doing this. I mean, not far, far, far from a hero. No, no, no. Listen, I, I do mean this because I think it's important that people are out there spending time they could have spent elsewhere both to go through the training session and then also, of course, work on election day. And I think it's important for our democracy. And so I appreciate what what you're doing. I will say that. I have two questions for you. So mm-hmm. first one is, what is something during your training that you learned about 
in regards to the polling that you might not have already mentioned, maybe you didn't know about New York being a signature state. What did you learn about the polls during that four hour training that made you go, oh, that's, that's interesting? Well, so I don't expect given the pandemic, I don't expect there to be any paraplegic voters at the site. I mean, there might be, but I would doubt it given the pandemic. Mm-hmm. They have equipment for paraplegics to vote if they don't bring their own tubes, et cetera. So there, there's single-use equipment that a paraplegic can breathe into. It's, it's a, it's a, it, you can blow into, which then scrolls down. And then if you suck in, I think that's what it does to, um, to make your selection. That is amazing. That blew my mind. That that's blew my incredible. mind. Yeah. I mean, that's how all voting should be, I think. I mean, for people across the board, it's just because that's just incredible. Then there's also, so you're, you're not allowed to touch someone's ballot. You're not allowed. Like you hand someone their ballot. Once they mark it off, you're not allowed to touch their ballot. And then yet, when I went to vote early a few weeks ago, when mm-hmm. I went to when I went to the scanner, the woman took my ballot and scanned it. I mean, I stood there to watch and see yeah. the confirmation, but she took my ballot. <laughs> wow! So you learned that she didn't go through the, the proper training. I guess not. That, uh, that you had dealt with. I that, that's that's really interesting, actually. No. So the second question that I have, and maybe. This could be something they already brought up to you as a concern, but obviously, and people might be, look, they're probably experiencing this as we're talking about it on, we're recording this on Monday, but people are either driving to vote or maybe they're coming back from their polling location. So they may have just experienced this themselves, but I am curious, uh, what is the biggest concern that you have taking place on a day that could be in a lot of people's minds, just utter chaos. What concerns do you have as someone who's going to be right in the thick of it uh, at a New York City polling location? Physical altercations. Like New York, New York State, there's, there's no debating which presidential candidate will win New York State. So I am concerned, though, about the, the physical altercations and also, so poll watchers, it's become a, a popular term. Mm-hmm. They're, they're legal. You have to go through a certification and have a certificate that says mm-hmm. that you are a legitimate poll watcher. And you can get certain numbers, like making sure that the ballots submitted match up with the ballots that you have, et cetera. So that's all allowed. But there seems to be a lot of people out there who think they can just be a poll watcher, walk in like, hey, I'm here to watch the polls. Mm, well, you can't, can't do that. <laughs> There's a poll right. out there. If you want to go stand there and look at it all day, you can. So that's what, that's what I'm most concerned about. How much did they – this is my final question. How much did they warn you that there may be incidents or altercations on election? Not much. They didn't really say much about that. But I mean, they did say about poll watchers and what you do. And basically they say, well, you, you let your, 
you let the boss know. But I'm more concerned about physical altercations. Probably do a few extra push-ups tonight. Yeah, you should. You should. Use your built go chocolate mint and uh and, and, <laughs> and get yourself revved, revved up. Actually do that maybe even before you you start your work day uh tomorrow. But I it's interesting. The, yeah, the term poll watcher, I mean, we had always did differently when my friends and I would go to fantasy show bar, but this is an entirely different <laughs> profession altogether. This uh you have to get certified. I didn't know. I didn't know that there were official poll watchers. What was I the really name of that? Know. Uh fantasy show bar out of Jersey. I mean, you know, listen, fantasy I would just drive. I didn't I didn't go in, but I'm just saying that, you know. My buddy Scott Huff and Joe Stapleton did a podcast years ago. Like they were very, very early in the podcast game, just a riot. And it was called Two Jacks in a Hole. And they made up this game and they made up an app. It was called, and it was they did this bit on their show. It was called Strip Club or Hair Salon. And they'd pick a city and then they would give you a whole bunch of names from hair salons or strip clubs need to determine whether it was a strip club or a hair salon. And it's a challenging game. Challenging. Phenomenal. That is phenomenal. Maybe not, maybe not as challenging as Adam's trip from the East coast <laughs> back home to San Francisco. A little bit more life next. All right. You had some trip, huh? Let me tell you, Noah. So we spent six weeks on the East Coast, in Pennsylvania, uh, dealing with some some family emergency stuff and and really just trying to get our, our life in order. Never thought we'd hop in a plane in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, on the way there, to give you some context, I, I don't know if you've flown yet during this, mm-hmm. this whole thing, but we, we had a baby, so we've been in a hospital, had the baby in a pandemic. We dealt with all of that. Baby's doing great, by the way. But... And to tell you how long it's been, she's she's nearly seven months old. So that's, that's how long we've been dealing with this. So we, on the way there, we flew Alaska. And everything they said they're supposed to do, I mean, giving you seats in between people, everybody masks up. You felt very comfortable. There was no one in the San Francisco airport when we left and we we flew out. It was very easy flight, like basically exactly like you would hope that it would be and that they promise you that it's going to be. On the way back, not so much. Oh. So, so Newark was Newark was busy, but that was okay. We we dealt with the airport fine. We get on the plane, Noah, and it is packed. Every seat occupied. So we're loaded. And you mentioned it before. My kids are my daughter Avery's 16, Bella's 14, Hudson's three. And Skyler is is six months old. They, so the four of us are on the plane and we've got masks on, everyone but the baby. We're on this packed flight. So already Kate, my wife is livid. Like, I can't believe this. This isn't what they promised. She's got the wipes out, wiping everything down. You know, the, the monitor in front of us, the you know, the armrest, everything she can, the window. So as she's going through this, this process, we're going along. And Noah, you know how it is. I, you've flown with Eden before, your your daughter, I'm, yeah. I'm sure. You know, when you fly, you always have that anxiety, like, I hope my kid handles all this pretty well. And in our case, like, I know my daughters who are experienced flyers, the older ones, they're going to be fine. Like, I don't I don't have to concern, myself with, concern ourselves with them at all. 
our little ones, different story. Like you don't know what you're going to get. Hudson's a maniac, as I've talked about on this show. Skylar is the sweetest baby ever, but she also has one of the loudest cries you'll ever hear. She's got her brother's lungs who, when he was in the hospital, the nurses came to us and said, two days old and said, we all agree here at this hospital. It's the loudest baby we've ever heard. And they're laughing and I'm like crying. Like I do not need this in my life. So she has those, that lung capacity, but doesn't use it unless she absolutely is really, really hungry or she's got a wet diaper. So, you know, like she almost, she very rarely cries. Point being, we get on this flight, Noah, we make it the first hour and she just starts wailing away. And one of those screams that everybody in the plane, you could feel all the eyeballs and looking at you and it just doesn't let up. And the thing is, experienced parents have empathy for the parents going through that because you know it's most painful for them. But you also know there are a lot of people on that flight that don't have kids and that aren't experienced parents or younger adults. And they're like, oh, like this is awful. I I just want to listen to, you know, this uh, this Guns N' Roses album or whatever they're they're doing on the phone. So then we're dealing with that, and I'm trying Wait, to hold balance on. up. Hold on, hold on, yeah. hold on. Could you hear the screams in first class? Oh, uh, you you couldn't be on the plane and not hear the screams. No, no, I'm so saying you personally. So Kate is with Skylar <laughs> and the kids. You so you could hear the screams through the curtain. Listen, I tried to avoid her altogether. I tried to oh, fly in my private loud. jet. And, yeah, pretty loud. Oh, yes, yes. And but, you know, here's the thing, too. Like, not a lot bothers me typically anyway. So I'm already just, you know, listening to other podcasts in my ear. I got the music (laughs) on. So it's not really just affecting me. So if someone looked back and sees my baby screaming in my hands, even worse is the fact that I have headphones on and I'm bouncing away at uh, something that I'm listening to. And then and then the little man just just gets involved. He just, you know, his greatest hits, like kick the seat in front of him. At one point, Noah, he decided he wasn't going to wear a shirt. So, like, look, <laughs> if we're negotiating between, yeah, if we're negotiating between the mask and the shirt, shirt's coming off, right? So, so now he's got, he's bored of his, you know, shows that we were giving him on the tablet. Didn't really want to watch stuff on the monitor. So now he's kicking the seat in front of him. His big thing is like he's taking like, you know, it's a bag of goldfish and he just dumps it out like on the on the ground. Then he's asking for, you know, certain juices and they don't have them. So then that's frustrating him. And then meanwhile, we're also dealing in the midst of everything else going on in our lives. We've been dealing with this potty training fiasco with him. So throughout the whole flight, he has to go to the bathroom and then I bring him back there and then no need at all and along the way it's like i'm carrying him back to the bathroom shirtless the whole time and he's like trying to like tap people on the head as he's as he's walking <laughs> he's he's an amazing kid i love him to death but it was a brutal flight and and kate and i and what made matters all the worse is that keep in mind we left local time 9 40 a.m so we got to the airport before eight o'clock it was 6 a.m. when we left Pennsylvania. But it was daylight savings time the night before, Saturday night. So we're making this three-hour flight. So when we get back to California, as if all this wasn't difficult enough, we get back to California and our body clocks are still four hours off from where they were when we left. And we hadn't slept the night prior. So 
now all night long last night as if the travel day wasn't wasn't just a hellish like the worst travel day we've ever had as if that wasn't bad enough we then uh get back home and last night just nobody slept i mean it was just you know no one knew what time it was it's you know it's it's like i'd imagine if you fly to australia in the day you know you almost have to give up the first day it's like i'll tell you you know i went to i'll just say this real quick i went to london one time and uh you know, it was spring break in college, went to London and I took a red eye flight to London. And all everybody told me, I think that in London, they're ahead by, what is it, five or six hours from the East Coast, I think. Sounds right. So, so they said, hey, here's what you do when you take the red eye flight. You'll get in and, you know, so you get in local time, let's say it's whatever, three or four for you. And there it's, you know, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. They said, when you get to London that first day on the red, sleep as much as you can on the flight. When you get to London, then because the timing works out, you're going to be exhausted all day. Just make it through the day and then crash the following night. So I get on the plane and uh buddy that I went with actually, it was three of us from college. We all showed up at the airport. His passport has, had expired. So he ended up having to stay with my parents for a few days. Besides the point. Jeez. I fly, I, so we leave, so I remember this girl, Hillary, and I, we, we fly to, to London, and I get seated next to this guy that was in the Marines, and it, the guy was hysterical, and we're on the flight for like 20 minutes, and he goes, hey, you want to get drunk? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> next thing I know, it's like two hours later, and we're stumbling towards the cockpit because he encouraged me, he goes, let's go check out the cockpit, <laughs> and this is, yeah. Now, keep in mind, this was a time where you theoretically could probably still do something like this. Now you you can't, obviously. So we try to go. They go, no, get back in your seat. Like, we almost get, you know, almost becomes a huge international incident. We get back in our seats. Point being, Noah, I never slept. So we get to London. I get to London. My buddy picks me up. We go to his flat. What's the first thing I do? Pass out. Crash. Pass out. I had jet lag for an entire week, so. And it still is is worse right now. I feel worse right now than I ever did during that that trip to London. Well, what what headache was worse, the the hangover headache or the Skylar Hudson screaming headache? Oh, easily, easily Skylar Hudson scream. I mean, there there is nothing like the frustration and embarrassment that you have when you're on a plane with kids that you just can't. Well, you can correct. be frustrated. You, you you I refuse to allow you to be embarrassed. You cannot be. You cannot be embarrassed. It's it ha- it it happens. You know, it kids, happens. Kids kids cry. There's it's true. That's it's, it's that's when, probably the wrong word. You're absolutely yeah. right. And when it's, you can't, it's, when you it's, can't it's, communicate it, it happens. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Wait, uh, did anyone throw up? No, no, no one threw up. And honestly, and and we didn't have an and we didn't have a a potty training accident either okay. in the that's seat, which also. Which could have been, which could have been brutal. So, last one. What, what was the conversation like between you and the person whose seat Hudson was kicking? That's brutal. You know what? That's actually an excellent question. So, the person, I will say this. I mean, it was a consistent, and and the oh. whole time I'm holding, like I'm literally like holding his feet. Like this is the one thing I'm not allowing you to do. Yeah, you know, you can be shirtless on this on this plane, right? You know, he's already struggling with the mask, but I'm like, you can't, you can't. At one point he was like trying to do some type of like 
He's a strong kid. Again, he's three years old, but he's he's like trying to do push ups on like the tray table, and so he's like he's like lifting up. At one point, the woman in front turned around, almost in well, certainly in frustration, but almost to say something, and she turned around and she saw me like hold like holding him, and she looked at me and she just sort of nodded and smiled and said like, "Oh, it's okay if it's." If it's a three-year-old, I can excuse it. And I was like, that, just so people know, that kind of acknowledgement, understanding, empathy goes so far. Yeah, right. Like nothing needs to be said. Nothing needs to be done. That moment there where she just looked at me and said, I get it. I was, oh, it's the most reassuring feeling. And she'll be the next guest on Rejecting the Screen. And then and then he proceeded to kick the seat about 50 more times the rest of the way. Oh. What are you gonna do? Wait, what are you doing? That's that's your refrain. What are you gonna do? If you ever wrote a book, that would be the title. What are you gonna do? <laughs> that is, that's exactly what are you gonna do? What are we gonna do? We're gonna say goodbye and we're gonna tell you to rate and review the podcast. And even if you even if you rate it five stars and your your view is these guys don't talk a lot about basketball. Usually it's hoops and a little bit of life. Today, a little bit more about life. And we led with hoops. With you every Tuesday and Thursday, so twice a week. Thursday, you get the Going ISO edition, the long-form edition of the program. Lamar heard this week, the Portland Trailblazers TV analyst. You can also go back and listen to Justin Termini if you're a fan of SiriusXM NBA Radio. Terrific conversation with a unique personality. And also go back and listen to Kevin Willis and Sean Marion and Adam Morrison and Earl Watson and Howard Beck and so many more all right here on Rejecting the Screen. Locked on NBA is five days a week. Hollinger and Duncan comes out every week. Chad Ford's NBA Big Board is back. We've got all sorts of things going on for the NBA draft. And, of course, your team every single day here on the Locked On Podcast Network. So if you're listening now and you know and you've already subscribed and you're listening and you know you're going to hear Lamar Heard on Thursday, subscribe to Locked On Blazers with Mike Richmond. You'll get a Blazers podcast every single day. We're on Instagram at rejecting underscore the underscore screen. Adam's on Twitter at NaismithLives. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. What are you going to do? Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best, Mr. Poll Worker. And if you haven't done so already, it's still Tuesday. Go vote.